It's not my fault. <laughs> it's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and it's Ash Wednesday. I had originally planned, I wanted to take uh, today, which would have been kind of the perfect day to expound on the Pope's um, uh, depiction of some of the bad guys as, uh, what did he call ravenous wolves. I was going to go after that today. But... Um, Jason Berry, who is the guy who actually broke the story, and many people don't realize that. We broke it here in Louisiana with a priest from upriver in uh, uh, South Louisiana, and uh, he never gets the credit. They always talk about the Boston situation without that. Anyway, instead, however, um, of course, we had this uh, really nasty, nasty and tragic event on Esplanade, and I live on Esplanade, so I, I, I knew something terrible had happened because when you hear one emergency car whiz after another past your windows, uh, you know, that ain't good. Something, something terrible is happening. And uh, we checked into it, of course, and, uh, and found out what happened. And I, I know, of course, some of the riders that uh, uh, Sophie, who's still in the hospital, critically injured, but... Um, the last I heard, she's going to make it. She's going to be all right. But she's really um, knocked up as, as all of the other people are. But I, I'm taking a, a specific um, perspective on this, but I'm very interested to hear what both you and Bob Tannen is with me today. This is um, this is my husband, who I don't usually have on the show because I don't like nepotism. <laughs> However, he knows something about the subject. And, uh, and of course, living on Esplanade, uh, as I do, um, we feel strongly about it. And, and Dan, I know you do as a person who's very much engaged in both the environmental movement but also in the biking movement. And uh, I have to say, when they first brought bike lanes onto Esplanade, I was thrilled. I used to be a major biker. I biked all over the place. I once biked from the Bronx to um, Armonk, New York. Armonk, is that how we say it? I forgot. Armonk, New York. Um, about 50 miles wow. and back. And that was without any, uh, you know, pre-training. I just said, oh, I'm going to take a long bike ride. And that was in the days when there were not any bike lanes and so on. But So um, I can't not open the show this way. And let me just say that later in the show we are going to have a caller on uh, Art and Bloom, which is a happier subject. It's just a wonderful um, nonprofit event out at the New Orleans Museum of Art that involves a lot of pretty things and flowers and what have you, so uh, the show won't be all doom and gloom. But um, So I like to sit on my porch on Esplanade and, uh, you know, watch the dog chase around and, and check out the action on the street and greet people as they walk past our house trying to figure out what all those weird sculptures are and, and so on. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I cannot tell you how often during that sitting there, which usually is going to be somewhere in the vicinity of not even an hour, a car, I see cars whiz past at what has to be over 50 miles an hour at the least. So when they said that guy... Unfortunately, in his situation, he was completely, of course, loaded and, and uh, out of control. But um, people who are just uh, got someplace too important to go, 
or um, are, are literally using the street as a recreational speedway, personal recreational speedway, are racing down Esplanade at 50, 60, mile, you know, more, miles an hour. And the minute one of those folks is going to hit some kind of a, um, obstruction in some way, some traffic, and all of a sudden you see them head into, swerve into the biker's lane. Did they look? Did they see whether, and, and that is, those are very heavily used they must be the heaviest used bike lanes in the city, aren't they? Yeah, they're among the heaviest used for sure, and it's um, yeah, it's really scary to hear you describe that situation because you know that's what really ended in such tragedy on Saturday night, and something I see a lot when I'm biking around, and it just you adds. You see it a lot yeah, in other places. Too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and that you know I think it speaks to the need to have really safe, protected, and connected bikeways. And so, you know, protected bike lanes are like, uh, are on the road or adjacent to the road, but they are physically separated from the moving motor vehicle traffic. So you have, you know, in some places it's just sort of small posts. You could use, a, you know, put the parking lane there so there's parked cars. Sometimes you can you make it look nice with planters and stuff like that. But um, it's, you know, technology that's been or designed, I should say, that's been used in um, other places around the country, other places around the world for many, many years. Um, there's a lot of design support for it from the federal government on down um, with, a, you know, a lot of the details that have been worked out. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we, we don't have enough of those protected bikeways in New Orleans yet. So uh, we're really at Bike Easy, the organization where I, where I work, we've been calling for you know, this network of connected and protected uh, bike lanes uh, to, to reach throughout the city. You don't need one on every street, clearly, but you need them in the right places so people can get to where they're going. They can connect to another bike lane, whether they're going to work or the park or to school. Um, and in general, I think even beyond just the, you know, so that's really speaking to the protected bike lane um, component. So, but let, I do let, think... Let's stay on that component for just a minute okay. because that's not something I'm all that familiar with, although I have... I covered a landscape conference once, and they were showing some examples of that. Um, how, how prevalent is that? Because, and, and you say we have some places in the city like that? Because I can't recall ever seeing that. Yeah, the, actually the best one, best example is on the West Bank on Old Berman Highway. Oh, There's a two-way okay. protected uh, bikeway um, that is, yeah, goes for about a mile and a half. It really connects some neighborhoods to the shopping center. So it's really, you know, every time I'm over there, I see people using it. Um, and there's a couple other small, you know, for like a block or so at the end of Barone Street, you can get an example of it. There's some on um, Common Street or Tulane down in, uh, just for a few blocks. So, you know, you can kind of get a feel for it and, and see it. Um, and that was one thing we actually did um, late last year for about three months. Bike Easy and a coalition of partners worked closely with the city of New Orleans to do a three-month demonstration of what these connected bikeways and a network could look like. Uh, and so we transformed Barone Street, part of Canal Street, some of Simon Bolivar and some of MLK to, you know, really show how you could make streets safe and equitable for, for everyone, no matter if you're walking or biking or driving or taking the bus. Um, and so that's where on Barone Street, for instance, we just move the parking lane. So the parking lane we, we pulled out far from the curb uh, in order to let the bike lane run between the curb and the and the sidewalk. And that's um, a situation that's worked really well in a lot of places and I think something that we could do here and use to great effect um, throughout the city. All right.
Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, I, I'm a little frustrated with uh, politics. You, you kind of uh, get to a point where you just wonder, you know, what does it take to get something done, right? And so um, I was on a rant over the weekend reading columns about uh, people who are good Democrats uh, complaining, oh, wow, all these left people and liberals and progressives and they're going to take down the whole thing and we're going to wind up with Trump and blah, 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 blah. And now we need to be careful and not to get too far away from centrism. What the hell did centrism ever accomplish for us in all these past few decades? And I, I actually sent an are editorial. On, are we still on the bike subject? Well, no, I'm coming right back to it. I trust. trust. This is part of the conversation. The conversation is about action and how hard it is to achieve action. And, and what is it going to take to accomplish getting the kind of barriers you're talking in the city, as well as dealing with the speeding issue that uh, uh, my, my husband and I feel so strongly about watching too much of it on Esplanade. But, um, you know, I'm I simply saying that there's, there's just been too little actual action yeah. in the part of our political leadership in, in this state and so many other states and in the country. And, you know, what is it going to take us to actually move? So... The, the, I asked that question. What is it going to take us? No, that's a great Let, Let's deal with the barriers first, and then we'll move on to some of the other um, things that can be done. Yeah. So I think for you know for the for the bikeway network in particular, uh, there's a couple pieces to it because I think it does it has to fit in with you know safety for everyone on the roadway, right? It's not just about biking. It's about creating mobility options. It's about getting everyone where they need to go safely, whether you're walking or biking or driving or taking the bus. Uh, and so, you know, we've been working um, really hard for the last few years to really push for an update to what's called the complete streets policy uh, for the city of New Orleans, where it's this idea that whenever you rebuild a road, you need to make sure that you're considering how best to accommodate all the people who are going to use the road in whatever kind of way they might be traveling and whoever they are. And, um, and that, poli you know, working towards that policy update has been taking, a, you know, two years of really you know, grassroots organizing and research and working with the city and building support. Um, and we still, you know, haven't seen it happen yet. And so I think it's close. I think that's, you need everything from, you need that sort of policy change, but then really to see the changes and see the action, it needs to be, you know, a cultural shift, both in the larger sense, but within the, you know, city hall and contractors, people that are doing that work and getting people to think about, you know, and it's everything from understanding good roadway design to um, how to, and to the enforcement side in terms of how, you know, things are being managed uh, from NOPD. And so there's this wide range of um, things that need to happen to keep the roads safe. I think specifically for the protected bikeways, I'm excited to see, you know, the city is planning to do um, – a public engagement uh, process around developing a vision for the network of bikeways. You know, we've had a lot of great, um, you know, we've had a lot of movement on that front, but it hasn't been super coordinated, right? It's sort of happening piecemeal here okay, and there. Absolutely. And so, yeah, and so now kind of taking a step back, using what we have, thinking about where we need to improve, right, where, a bike, where the bike lanes aren't quite good enough, thinking about where we could, um, you know, help make, and this is protected bike lanes, it's sort of you could have nice, quiet neighborhood streets that are, don't necessarily need a bike lane, but can still be real low stress um, bike lane, you know, just a bike boulevard, if you will, um, with some small treatments. And so I think that there needs to be that, you know, it's, uh, the city is going to be moving towards creating that vision collectively, and I think that's good. And then it's just, it's about the political will where, for where implementation. Where's the money going to come from for that? Because, of course, we know that it's so, the city's so strapped, and our mayor's being very determined about looking for money 
where she needs to find it to deal with things like infrastructure, which is one of the biggest issues she has right now. But um, uh, are there federal dollars available for this, or what's the story on funding it? Yeah, so, you know, piecing this, it's really it's a whole hodgepodge of funding sources as we continue to see you know, federal dollars coming in for some of the recovery work and some through the the state, you know, the federal dollars flow through the state. Um, the city also has the opportunity to do bond measures, and there's some funds in the capital uh, improvement plan um, for roadway stuff. And so it's really thinking about how you can, you know, put creating a bikeway or good design of the street. It doesn't add much cost at all. It's really about making sure that you're integrating that in when you're redoing the streets or uh, in quickly building bike lanes. You know, we can choose and prioritize uh, ones that are easy and cheaper to to build. And I think even through that, with some careful planning and smart construction, you can put together a good network um, that will really add to people's mobility options, make things safer for everyone. You know, this is, when I think about bike infrastructure, I really think about how you can use it to benefit all people, even if they'll never get on a bike, well, right? Uh, you you can see, sh- yeah, you see a lot of people use the bike lanes for walking mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, even pushing baby carriages and so on. And um, I, let, me, let me turn to Tannen because I know he, he shares my particular focus on the speeding issue, and you did a little bit of looking into that today. And one of the things that you discovered is, is a city like New York, which is, wow, talk about chaos city. Um, they, they instituted a, a speed limit. That two, two years ago, they dropped the speed limit in, on all city streets to 25 miles per hour. Now, the problem here in New Orleans is that our general speed limit on city streets is 35 miles an hour. Interestingly, Bayou Road, which is very close to Esplanade, has a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit. Uh, how far that goes up into Gentilly, I'm not sure. But And if, if there's a way of bringing the speed limit down from 35 to 25 within the city, that would be a major safety innovation in itself. Uh, I've long held the theory of congestion that while congestion is more inconvenient, it's still safer uh, for all users of transportation. The slower the vehicles move, the less uh, fatality and uh, destruction there is. Uh, So while there may be some inconvenience by reducing the speed limit from 35 to 25, it certainly will have a positive impact on fatalities, accidents, uh, destruction of property and life. And it's something that we need to consider. I understand that our uh, that the transportation coordinator, uh, Councilwoman Palmer, who is the head of uh, these issues, the uh, will be addressing uh, many of the things we're talking about here today. And if I, I had to pick one thing that could be done easily because it doesn't cost anything, there's no physical improvement other than putting up signs that say 25 miles per hour speed limit as opposed to 35 miles per hour. That's probably all more costly streets, than we think. <laughs> no, but on all streets other than federal and state roads that are high-capacity roads, um, the interstate obviously would not be a candidate for that, and so would other major, major facilities. But the majority of streets in the city – should have a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. But then you have the Is that a fair, a fair assignment? If you had to pick one low-cost shift that could have a major impact on all of the things you're talking about, the reduction of speed, 
is a major. Yeah, absolutely. Make you know, speed is the biggest factor in whether people get seriously injured or killed uh, in car crashes, and that's you know whether it's. Uh, you know, car involved. You know, someone driving a car and someone biking. Two people. You know, two different cars. It's speed is always the biggest factor. And so, you know, I think reducing the speed limit is incredible. In New York, they did that as part of a right. larger Vision Zero effort, which also includes, you know, the other pieces, the engineering and education stuff. So I think, you know, I, I would fully support that. I do think that. You know, roadway design has yeah. a bigger impact on speed limits that, and on how how fast people are actually going right. than just the set speed limit. So I think it would be good. It would be best done in a collective way in terms of cost. Clearly, you know, I think that yeah. that is probably on the cheaper end. And the signage, I don't know about, but you know, I think that if we really want to start to ensure that people can get around safely, no matter what mode they're taking. We're going to need to rethink the way that we design our streets. And, and the timing is perfect because there's $2 million bucks of federal funds for uh, public improvements of streets. Uh, the Department of Public Works is going to be improving streets, not only surface but subsurface. Mm -hmm. If the issues that we're addressing are incorporated in the design of this work, exactly. much of the, uh, the cost is already there and could be overlooked if not included. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's just a, it's a different way of considering the street, right? So it's when you're building it, it's, you know, because there is a lot of federal money right now. And so just thinking about how you actually design and build streets that are created to be shared by everyone, you know, however they're, they're using them and incorporating it into this just sort of normal cycle as streets wear out and get replaced, you need, that's when you need to make those changes. Um, and, you know, sometimes you need to make them even before that, like on Esplanade, I don't, you know, I think you, before you wouldn't have to wait till you're repaving it to put in a protected bike lane, which I think, you know, would also help the problem you have with speeding and it just creates a calmer roadway. And so folks, um, that was one thing that we saw when we did the protected bikeway demonstration uh, downtown that in, in some place on Simon Boulevard, the, the uh, amount of illegal speeding dropped. Yeah about about 25%, 26%, but the average speed stayed the same. You know, so it's people, it's really just the high end. It's not slowing down everyone. It's the folks who are going too fast, which is exactly what... You you alluded to the Dutch model earlier. The Dutch model has, for example, the sidewalk first, Mm -hmm. then then the bikeway, then the parking, and then the motorized vehicles. It's a paradigm, a major shift in the way we use this public thoroughfare. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a there's another part of this though that uh, I can't help but feel is is something we got to pay attention to, and that is a kind of attitudinal thing. So you, you just have a you know, <laughs> New Orleans is. My husband always jokes it's not the big easy; it's the little difficult. But <laughs> we have we have a a, a a mindset here that we're just a little bit um, out of control. And it's okay. I mean, it's cool because that's who we are. We like to drink too much. We like to have our go cups. We like to, um, you know, uh, be just a little bit on the edge. <clears throat> that applies on the street. And just in the past two weeks, I don't even know if it was two weeks. My husband and I were both in the car. I, he's been driving me. I had some surgery recently, so we were together. And I I swear I would, so I'm not looking at the road quite the same way. I I saw three cars just barrel right through red lights. And that's that's an attitudinal thing. And I can remember very well being in a car with a state senator. I'm not going to say who it was. 
who 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 would do that? Would just plow through red lights? And I and I, you know, I said, well, wasn't that a red light? He said, yeah. And it's like there's just a different attitude here towards um, public uh, responsibility. It's it's not just even about safety; it's about public responsibility in general. So w- while you're putting in well, these, there's a component to what you're saying, Jane, is taking risks. There is a popular uh, attitude here of taking risks, being as close to the edge um, of a situation rather than being safe and being uh, having the ability having the ability to uh, make judgments that are more rational. I mean, we like to take risks. That's part of our culture. Well, that we took more risks on the economic side rather than on the uh, safety side. Yeah. Uh, but so I think that it, along with the, uh, you know, infrastructure you're talking about and the speeding um, regulations, it, you have an attitude and a thing. So yeah. right by our house, we have a crosswalk. I, I don't I, – I think that one oh. out of 100 cars – actually honors that crosswalk. I think most people in the city of New Orleans have no idea what a crosswalk is. Yeah, and, that, and talk about signage, again, you have all these flashing lights, these beautiful signs at the Lafitte Greenway, and I don't know you know, how the, the Greenway folks who are terrific, and unfortunately we just lost one of our leaders, you know, uh, are, it, it, ha, have been able to deal with those crosswalks, which are really scary when you, you know, again, you have Broad Street traffic crossing uh, uh, or Galvez uh, traffic crossing, but um, you get to a, cro- a crosswalk on an average street like the one by our house. There's no sign there that tells you you can't that you have to slow down and stop if there's somebody in the crosswalk. That's a, I bet you got, I'll bet you we got a lot of pedestrian yeah. deaths in there the city. There are signs. There oh. are signs to to slow while someone's in the crosswalk. Uh, the only time we finally got signs was by the school when uh, the new school bricolage opened. Before that, no signs. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Um, New Orleans ranks uh, pretty high on the wrong list when it comes to pedestrian safety. And so, you know, that's something that we really care about a lot at Bike Easy as well. And, you know, streets that are safe for people biking are safe for people walk, safer for people walking and vice versa, right? And that is, so I think, making sure that you know, we're enabling everyone to get around and so definitely on foot. And so that's where this idea of complete streets, right, where it's, 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 it's everyone. It's, it's all the different users. It's crosswalks and signalized crosswalks and bike lanes and, you know, transit shelters so people can be out of the sun and the rain and waiting for the what bus. shelters? So, yeah, we exactly. don't have shelters. That's another that's the thing problem. we yeah. talk about all the time, those little chicken coop things that protect what? I don't know what the flies that are up there in the, in yeah. underneath. What is that all about? No, it's crazy. But what do we what do we do about that? That's an expensive thing to fix. But yeah, and I, you know, but to your bigger point there, I do. I couldn't agree more that there's this attitudinal shift, the cultural shift that needs to happen in terms of how we respect each other on the roadways. That's how I like to think about it. Is like you know, it's being aware of other people. And this is the roads are public space that we all share, that we all need to use, that are, you know, crucial for the way that we live and how we can, you know, go about our daily lives. And so we need to make sure that whether you're walking or driving or biking or taking the bus or pushing a stroller or riding in a wheelchair, that everyone can get around safely. And I think that there's the design changes for sure, but then there's also just that idea of respecting each other. And and enforcement. The problem is also enforcement. Yeah, If If we're not enforcing the conditions that we're talking about, then they are uh, not going to really be understood by the population. I called the NOPD today, 
Um, and I was, you know, finally, after a number of different roadblocks going in the wrong direction, I finally reached the right, you know, office. And they, they never called me back. Um, and I didn't say anything about this issue of enforcement, but uh, this, this uh, uh, speeding on Esplanade Avenue, I, I haven't seen a police car on Esplanade Avenue. I can't even think how long it's been. There used to be a car that used to be parked, especially on the other side of Broad. But um, and the, the real speedway is from Broad Street to Claiborne because mm -hmm. there's only one light. And otherwise, you can just buzz right so, down that street. So, you know, it is – I understand exactly, you know, what's going on. It's, it's but, one of the – But this is a citywide issue. Esplanade is just one example we're talking about. I think we have to look at it in the context of the entire city. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something, you know, I think that cr there's a bright light on Esplanade right now for good reason, but I also agree that, you know, it is something that neighborhoods all over the city are experiencing, and we need to make sure that all neighborhoods are getting these, you know, better streets, and I think especially, you know, seeing it through an equity lens where the neighborhoods that have been underserved when it comes to transportation options for, you know, years, decades, generations, that we need to really be prioritizing the improvements and the investment and the improvements for, for, you know, streets built to share in those neighborhoods and really helping people, you know, connect to their jobs or get out to the, you know, to the grocery, it's easier to get to the grocery store. I mean, biking is an incredibly affordable way to get around. And that's why I'm so, you know, concerned about the general idea of how to make it safer for people. Biking is that there are so many benefits to it, right? Whether it's your, your, your individual health, the idea of public health and health equity, help, you know, helping reducing to reduce, yeah, for the city in general. yeah, reducing health disparities, reducing pollution, um, you know, there's just positive benefits in terms of economic development and job access. And then of course, it's just fun. Like biking is, is a joyful activity. Uh, and I think that that's part of why we've seen such a resurgence of it in the way that it kind of has been fitting into the culture in New Orleans where people are out there enjoying themselves on together on socializing. But we just have to make sure that it's safe for There's everyone to do it. There's an underlying sociological issue too, though, in, in the attitude issue. And that is that the, the bikers that have increased tremendously since we've gotten an influx of people from elsewhere post-Katrina. And I think that the folks who, who have been pushed out of their neighborhoods, quite frankly, out of Treme, out of Seventh Ward, out of Bywater, um, I think they resent a lot of the newbies, so to speak. And um, it's the newbies still that are primarily on the bikes. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's undeniable that there's been a huge uptick in the amount of riding that's happening. It actually did start before Hurricane Katrina, though, since the late 90s, the amount of bicycling has really been increasing um, in, in, in New Orleans. Um, and, you know, people have been biking here for generations, right? Like, our office is in Central it's City. Flat. The city's flat. It's yeah, perfect for biking. You know, and it's it's cheap. It's easy. It's an easy way to get around. So, you know, in Central City, I see a lot of folks who've been there for generations moving around. I think that you, you know, you do bring up a really important point that we have to think about, you know, affordability, not only in terms of transportation, but in terms of housing as well. Right. And this, well, as we see people being displaced, unfortunately, um, that, you know, gets sometimes put on the, on the on bike infrastructure, bicycling, um, there, there's correlation in some places, but also, you know, the bike network or, you know, what the beginnings of the bike network in New Orleans are spread out quite well, right? And there's definitely, you know, they, they act different in neighborhoods, um, but I think we do have to be really thoughtful about how we're ensuring that people 
you know, all the people are engaged in the conversation about how to build out these mobility options and how to, you know, create these safe streets is that part of it when the attitudinal shift and how this is where it kind of overlaps with design, right, is you ensure that people are engaged in the planning process and the design process, particularly, you know, you know, people from low-income communities, people of color, folks who have been left out for many years of the, you know, com- the transportation planning conversation. And, and then that helps with education and it helps with people really sort of accepting the shifts and understanding them and, and using the roadway in the right way, no matter which mode of travel you're choosing. And that really helps. And that, you know, it's something that we hear all the time. People are upset about the way, you know, the pe- people biking, breaking the rules, but people biking are upset about the way people driving break the rules for them. And it's like with better infrastructure, even in this risk-taking culture, you know, with the risk-taking culture we have, which, you know, there's always risk on the roadway, but you can, with better infrastructure, even help um, mitigate that so that when other when someone's taking ri- a big risk, it's not someone else who has to pay for it. What so about- uh, if, if I might just uh, – I want to make sure we touch on another point because you mentioned um, – I think I saw in the article that it addresses the, the issue of improving on our uh, public transit is another part of this whole um, – network of uh, transit, uh, transportation alternatives. So uh, give me a little bit more on um, what the thinking is there. Yeah, you know, I think that certainly, you know, public transit um, services uh, need to continue getting a lot better in the city. And that's something that we care about in terms of just enabling people to have options about how they get around. So, you know, we're uh, lucky enough to share an office space with Ride New Orleans, which is the advocacy group that focuses on improving uh, public transit transportation in the city or in the region. And um, you know, they've got a lot of great specifics, you know, from increased frequency to better shelters, um, you know, reimagining the the regional tra- transit system uh, could really take us a long way. So they're actually, you know, there was a strategic mobility plan that was put out by the RTA last year, and now this year they're really digging into um, this idea of a reimagining, really looking deeply at the way everything's aligned and could, you know, with the resources that are there, can you move, change the routes in a way that could make things more efficient? You know, what's, how can you incorporate transit into the type of street design I'm talking about where, you know, you create dedicated lanes and places to help make sure that the transit runs on time? And how do you make it something where there's an attitudinal shift that it's like people actually are excited and choose to ride, to ride transit? I feel like it's very much a yeah. transit rider, you know, it feels like the, most of the people riding transit in New Orleans today are transit dependent, whereas we really want to get to these, you know, people like myself who own a car and have a bike, I should jump on the bus too, right? Like, the relationship between you. the bus and the bike is interesting because the buses can carry the bikes yep. for those longer distance kind of biking uh, issues, and that relationship is something that's very important. Absolutely. Who's, who's, uh, who's your counterpart with Ride New Orleans? Uh, his name is Alex Pozorski. How do you spell that? P-O-S-O-R-S-K-E. Yeah, he was very, very active also within the transition uh, developing a transit and transportation plan for the city. So, so I'm fascinated about this. You know, a uh, number of years ago, I'm going to try to remember. I think it, it might have been, uh, I think during Sidney Bartholomew's administration, that far back, I made a proposal to the RTA that the buses be used for more uh, visitor-based activity in the off hours and the non-rush hours. Um, so that a bus is viewed as a way to get to a neighborhood, and um, if it's connected to the cultural resources and opportunities in a, in a given neighborhood, that that bus becomes a, a way of moving people 
out of the uh, the uh, pressure, high pressure tourist areas such as the French Quarter, where we have too much tourism, yeah. into other parts of the city. It didn't go anywhere at the time, but I want to talk to Mr. Pizarski and see if he can. Um, maybe help uh, get this idea off the ground where you literally think about the buses um, in terms of a way to get to um, cultural uh, and athletic and other kinds of opportunities in different neighborhoods um, because that would change the idea. So if a bus, instead of having Crown Royal ad all over it, yeah. which which I don't know, just that one got me when I saw it. Um, it, it you have a, a wrap around a bus that's all about, um, say, Central Cities, you know, Elsie Haley, the cultural corridor yeah. there, Ache's activities, the the, the market and and the Myrtle Banks buildings. Well, there's are, related are there's a related issue that we we haven't addressed. Uh, our school system in the city of New Orleans now is driven largely by the transit system that the buses that move children from home to school. There should be a relationship between the public bus company, which uh, is the RTA in this case, and the private operators that work with the schools. There could be a way of utilizing the public transportation system as a way of moving children from home to school and from school to home, rather than having this this duplicative system where you have a separate a separate uh, transit system for students versus at a time in the past when um, the majority of students were using city buses and not we, private yeah, buses. Yeah, I grew up uh, taking a, a bus to school and a subway to school, for that matter, in, in the Bronx. But that's something York. we need yeah. to address. We mm-hmm. haven't really addressed that issue. Yeah, yet. I think that um, so that it certainly hasn't been addressed. The idea has been floated. I think it could make a lot of sense. I also I like your idea, Gene, and I think that now is really the time to yeah. be weighing in with that as they are doing this reimagining of the regional transit system. And so, you know, there's going to be a process with public input. So I'd encourage everyone, you know, yeah. to pay attention. And, and, and uh, let me get some uh, let me get some websites out there yeah, because, uh, you know, I really want to help people connect. So first of all, for you, Dan Favor, for um, – uh, bike, uh, what's it? It's just bikeeasy.org. Very, yeah, um, bikeeasy.org. That straightforward. Is Make sure you put the two E's in there. Um, and, and then I'd also, for the transit stuff, since we're on that now too, it's rideneworleans.org. Rideneworleans.org. Yeah, and I would, okay. um, there'll be, you know, lots yeah, of details encourage there. Encourage people to uh, check in there. And uh, I really would like to talk to Mr. Pozorski about um, and, looking absolutely. to how we can treat and the also, buses as a way to get to fun. And yeah. also, Councilwoman yeah. Palmer is the transportation coordinator for the mm-hmm. city now at the council level. Yep. And she's the person that we should be communicating with about these issues. Who, who's, who's the person with the administration? That's, uh, that's Laura Bryan, mm-hmm. who is the mayor's assistant for transportation. All modes, all modes of transportation. Yep. And that recommendation came out of the transition team uh, to have a person in city hall in the mayor's office who coordinates all transportation issues, and Laura's doing a wonderful job at that. And our mayor is an amazingly responsive person, and uh, she actually encouraged that. I see a light blinking, but I don't have to worry about that light blinking, right? 
Oh, is that my gal? She's, oh, okay. All right, well, um, guys, we're going to uh, segue into another part of the show. Uh, before we do that, is Dan, is there any last point that we didn't uh, cover that you wanted to make sure we... Um... No, I mean, you know, I, I appreciate you having me. I'm uh, really hoping that we, you know, t- the lesson coming out of uh, what, you know, the tragedy this weekend is that we really do move forward and all come together from city and state governments and, you know, le- civic leaders, everyday people to, you know, ensure that we're building our roads to share, that we're respecting each other out there on the roadway and, you know, helping everyone get where they're going safely takes takes all of us. And so um, we'll, we'll keep working and, and looking to see that network of protected bikeways and complete streets all throughout the city um, and um, hope to see, see folks out there riding. So I just want to point out that um, the listeners of WBOK are very much your constituency. And uh, I'm not the only one doing shows here. Uh, Oliver Thomas has a show in the morning. You should definitely stay in touch with him. And yeah. Lee um, uh, is, is uh, I'll give you a phone number if you call me, uh, a guy that, you know, works with him on his show. And, you know, come back to us and tell us when you want us to uh, alert folks to meetings that are coming up. Because, as you said, people have not been involved enough in the networking and in the um, – actual planning meetings, and that just takes getting the word out. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks I so have much a last word? Yes, well, you, you're, you can't go anywhere. You're going to be here for <laughs> Art and Bloom. Go 25 ahead. miles per hour. <laughs> that If there's one thing that we could do now that doesn't require major infrastructure change, it's reducing the speed limit on most streets in the city to 25 miles per hour. That would have a major impact. On the safety I and think use we need baseball streets. caps with 25. <laughs> yeah, I like it. All right. T-shirts with 25. Dan, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate in. you. And uh, good luck on this. Um, and uh, uh, good luck, Sophie. Uh, uh, you're probably not listening to my show, but um, she's still there in LSU, and uh, I, I want her to get better. And all her friends. Um, I've been not wanting to make the phone calls that are sort of bothersome in the hospital yet, but I will be. Uh, calling and checking in, and, and we hope all the other people. I, I don't know how many others are still in the hospital. Do you know? I don't know the the, the full update there, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people. Some folks have been really badly hurt, and of yeah. course, you know, we lost two really from from all appearances great and bright folks, and so very tragic. And I do uh, also echo your thoughts and wishing a speedy and full recovery um, to everyone who's still um, coming out of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right. So, okay. Um, let's see. Do I have Sweet Dupree on the phone? Yes. Hello. How are you doing this evening? Hi, Sweet. Sweet. Now, let me just ask you, did I pronounce your Dupree part correctly? Because there's so yes, many different ways to right. pronounce it's, that. Y- yes, it's Sweet Dupree. Thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to join you tonight. You know, well, I appreciate it. You're a sweetheart considering how little notice you got. I was kind of out of it over the holidays. I had surgery last week, and I just kind of didn't want to really do much. Uh, and was grateful to have Mardi Gras as my cover. So, uh, well, I, well, listen, we, are, we representing Art and Bloom are absolutely delighted that you wanted to speak to us this afternoon. I hope you had a happy carnival and a great recovery, and thank you for having us on to talk tonight. And we'll, um, we'll follow up. We'll do something else with you again before the event, because here's the thing about Art and Bloom, everybody, and this is why I was so anxious to get them on. I love Art and Bloom. I'm just a total... Oh, well, I'm just a sucker for it because it is so darn beautiful and creative and inventive. Yes. I mean, essentially, the core of it 
is that artists and floral shops and, and garden clubs and, and all kinds of folks are invited to cr- create a combination of just maybe a flower arrangement or a whole tableau uh, in relation to artwork that's in the museum. So there's, there's this kind of, you know, wonderful um, uh, uh, symbiosis and juxtaposition symbiosis, of all of that. Yeah. Synchronization between the, what's in, in the flower shows and what's in the museum. But then there's also a whole series of events. I mean, there's uh, galas and parties and luncheons and fashion shows and talks by really kind of famous and interesting people who um, deal with interiors and flowers and so on. So there's there's a lot going on. Let's focus for just a minute. Let's do the the um, initial gala because that is, of course, the linchpin. And and this is a time, of course, you, as we all know, our galas in New Orleans are so important because we party to raise money for all the nonprofit things that we work so hard at here. So your gala this year is on thir- Is it it's Wednesday? It's- yeah, exactly. Jane, it's Wednesday, March 27th right. at 6 o'clock in the evening is the patron party with the preview party following um, at New Orleans Museum of Art, of course. And the museum will literally be bursting with nearly 100 exhibitors. Wow. Incredible creations. To, that... to your point earlier, yeah. really extraordinary, truly. Have you seen some and... of the designs? I'm sure you have, right? Well, I've heard a bit about them, and, and I have to tell you, some of my very favorites, frankly, are, are always the ones that come out of the schools. I absolutely love that Arden Bloom every year includes many local schools and, and children's work uh, related to the theme of botanicals and flowers and art, because as you mentioned, in our Garden City, we have so much of these things, and our local artists are so inspired by their surrounds in, in a beautiful city like ours. And, you know, we just we need to grow this tradition in our children. So that's always very exciting to well, see their work included as well and, and, and alongside uh, of, of so many other professionals. Well, and I have to say, in general, you know, there's a tendency when people talk about New Orleans, they focus on two things, food and music, food and music, food and music, and they leave out the arts in general and, and our landscape and our, and our blooming. So uh, I have written quite a bit over time and worked with the Botanical Garden from time to time on trying to get out the word that uh, a, a big part of the appeal of our city is how green we are and how many yeah. things we have blooming and how much we bloom year-round, not just during the summer. We don't get all dry and withered and gray in the winter. We get the sanquas in October, and then, oh, we, and then we get our camellias, and next thing you know, the, the, mag, the uh, Japanese magnolias are popping out, and now the azaleas are already coming, and then it just goes on and on and on. I can see that the um, catalpas. My husband is a, is a catalpa man, and the, the big catalpa white flowers that come with, with that um, ancient tree. And then um, we have the, uh, of course, the big magnolias. There's nothing like New Orleans in, when it's drenched in the smell of the, uh, of the, of what do you call them? Grand. Uh, the grand magnolias, the yeah. The grand magnolias. So, so uh, that's one of the reasons why I think your event is so important too. That it calls attention to that. It engages all of the um, all the garden clubs. You know, I think a well, lot of people don't realize that they can be a part of the garden club world. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we bring nearly 20, um, join us, perhaps a few more this year to participate. And just exactly as you mentioned, really encouraging the botanical landscape in the city. And really, Art and Bloom is entering its, it's, it's a really wonderful year. As New Orleans enters its fourth century, Art and Bloom is entering its fourth decade. This is our 31st year, and wow. it was an inspired collaboration between the Garden Study Club, uh, one of the local premier garden clubs, and the New Orleans Museum of Art to do just as you mentioned, which is to pr- promote the botanical side of New Orleans through the arts and um, the flowering of art and culture and gardens here in our city. And so we really feel like now New Orleans is poised in the most wonderful moment. I mean, there's so much energy here. There's so much focus. There's so much, there's just a renewed vibrancy throughout the city in all industries. And of course we love when that spills over to the art and our green spaces are greener. You know, the technology making things brighter in that regard is, is never been better. And actually, I wanted to mention that our, our our cover artist for the invitation this year is an amazing local artist named Courtney Egan, whose work is pioneering with video art about botanicals. So she's really a fabulous collaboration between classical botanical art and forward-thinking video presentation. That's fascinating. She, yeah. She's done a really, really gorgeous work for us this year called Dream Catchers, which is a video digital flowering uh, night-blooming cereus, which is a mysterious and beautiful plant, New Orleans. So we're rather thrilled about that. So, uh, Sweet, tell me about yourself. How did you get so involved in, in, in uh, uh, things garden and flowers well, and landscape? Well, it's funny that you mentioned the Japanese magnolia because I actually grew up in Macon, Georgia, where there are many beautiful gardens as well. And from a very, very, very young age, probably my earliest plant memory is actually of a Japanese or a tulip magnolia, which was giant outside of my grandmother's bedroom. And in the spring, I found it absolutely fascinating, um, the, the silvery gray branches and the bursting Japanese magnolia blossoms, I thought it was absolutely majestic. Magic, magical. You know, that with the flowering flowering trees in Macon, we have a very strong tradition of the cherry tree. And so that was a big part of my upbringing. And then I went on to university at the University of Virginia where there are beautiful flowering trees as well. And then I married a New Orleanian after many years. And so ended up in New Orleans and, of course, was just intoxicated by the gardens immediately and the trees. And, I mean, New Orleans is just the most exceptional city, really is. And I feel so fortunate to have gotten involved with the Garden Study Club and to have been welcomed to this wonderful city and, and, and this year to have this really extraordinary opportunity to work with Art and Bloom. So it's a dream come true so, for me. So, so sweet. You know, I, I try uh, seasonally. Uh, to bring on Ann Timmerman or someone to talk about the planting uh, opportunities or pruning or whatever it happens to be at a given time. And um, this is normally the show per uh, the season that I would have her on. Um, and I, I can't resist asking you, because you may not know the answer to this. Um, I'm not expecting you to be some kind of horticulturist. But 
I'm I made a big mistake because I am I am really a hopeless um, landscape. I love I have a very bre- big green thumb and shelves of garden books, and I just I'm 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 hopeless in terms of what I can actually do. So I kind of got a little bit carried away with Chinese fan palms. Uh, forgetting how big they get, and they're all over my garden. My garden is a jungle of Chinese fan palms, and now they're getting bigger. And you see, once they start getting bigger, you can't stop them, or at least no no one's told me how to (laughs) stop them. So now I have this, like, first story of, uh, of course, the usual um, wonderful, and I love them, and they're why one of the reasons I live in New Orleans, the the live oaks. But then I have this second story of, of Chinese fan palms. So guess what I have now more than ever in my garden, and that is shade, shade, shade. shade. Yeah. What am yeah. I going to do under those Chinese fan palms? What can I plant that can bloom? Because I do love flowers. I mean, I'm going to plant a lot of oh. ferns. I'm, I've made the decision. Okay, it's fern. It's fern city. We're going to put all kinds of ferns in there. But what can I put under those? Chinese fan palms that bloom. Well, I tell you what, I need to think on that, but I have several members of the Garden Study Club that Pam Hain, Vesta Fort, <clears throat> Lynn Smith, and some others who are quite our horticulture stars. So that I can find out. And let me also say, if you'll join us for our lecture on Thursday, March 28th, we have Putnam and Putnam, two of the rising stars in the floral industry in New York coming to speak. In fact, they're experts, and they most recently did Gwyneth Paltrow's wedding, which was pretty extraordinary, and have released a book called The Floral Color Guide, which might be perfect for you. And they talk about over 400 species of flowering plants by color and address the perfect place to plant, et cetera. So we might have some answers lurking for you in this year's event. Well, that's great. Well, you know what? I will. Um, you know what? If you can help me, sweet, as we get closer to the event, and if they come into town, I see the, their speech is on. Um, their talk is on Thursday, the twenty eighth of March, uh, nine thirty in the morning. So that tells me that they're probably going to be in town the night before. If you and, and my show is Wednesday nights always at six. If there's any chance that I can get one of them to come on the show and talk about that, so I can get a little private consultation on my Chinese fan palm problem. Um, that would be yes. wonderful. And then uh, everybody would get a little bit of, um, you know, opportunity to ask their questions as well, of course. I love it. Well, I'll see what I could do about that. That would be fabulous if I could arrange it. So I will absolutely try, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So I'd love to see a picture of your garden, and we'll, we'll, we'll think about a perfect solution. How is that? Now, um, you also, the other events that you have, you have Nikki Haslam, if, if that's how you pronounce oh, it. Oh, gosh. Uh, yes, on, uh, and I, I can tell you, he is a dream of mine. In fact, when I was asked to chair the event, I thought, <clears throat> a little over a year ago, I thought, my goodness, I, wouldn't it be incredible if we invited Nikki to come and he accepted I do not know him personally, but I'm actually a decorator, and he is one of my greatest inspirations in, in art and design. He's, he's extraordinary. He's just one of the, the, the world-renowned interior and garden designers of the world. He's British, and he's also a close friend of Rodney and Francis Smith at the Sonyat House, who 
so graciously year after year uh, donate and accommodate our speakers for Art and Bloom for the museum and the Garden Study Club. And it's just the most gracious welcome to our city. And anyway, Nikki was asked, would he come? And he said, oh, I'd love to come. No other city speaks to me with the frisson of the bayou. Whoa. That was the text I received <laughs> back, and I thought, oh, God, I love him already. So yeah. anyway, we're we're absolutely delighted to have him. We're, we're so eager to welcome him. He's really a genius, and he's quite a comedian, and he's quite a character, very much a character. He's you know, knows, known everyone from Princess Margaret to worked with Andy Warhol for Vogue years ago. I mean, he's he has really done everything. He's extraordinary, and he's so thrilled to join us in New Orleans. He adores it. So I, I noticed that also he, that's uh, I, I'm looking forward to that also. And then then uh, following that is the is your very famous luncheon, and and this luncheon event that you have is fantastic, of course, with a great fashion show that Saks Fifth Avenue puts on. And so I want to encourage everybody to pay attention to that as well. Twelve thirty. Um, luncheon on Thursday, March 28th. Um, listen, exactly. I, I want to, um, I just want to say uh, also that, um, oh, you know, uh, I, I just, uh, one of the things about New Orleans that has always amazed me is as I drive around the city and I was even particularly floored after Katrina to watch this come back. And that is all the teeny, teeny little gardens in front of people's homes, in oh, every yeah. neighborhood in the city, and we're not just talking Audubon Place. We're talking, you know, um, uh, streets and everyone's garden. Just yeah. every, everybody has their touch. There's a there's a there's a rose bush um, two blocks behind my house by the Odyssey House. I, I'm trying to think what street that is. I think it must be Tanti and uh, it's it's uh, Governor Nichols. I think it is. There's a woman oh. there who has a rose bush that I, is to die for. It just is covered in roses when her season comes in. And I'm thinking, oh, it, it, it's everywhere. So wouldn't it be amazing if you guys could do some kind of a fantastic neighborhood gardens tour where you really call out and, 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 and in a sense, just honor and give attention to all these um, small local gardens, these neighborhood it. gardens uh, all over the city, because you know it, it, it's it's growing a plant is is a is a is a caring for life, right? And it is. and that caring uh, isn't limited to um, you know a, a people of means. It's 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 everywhere. Oh, no. So um, give that some thought. Oh, I love that idea. I think that's absolutely extraordinary. I I really. Um, it, it's another reason that I that I love Courtney's piece so much for this year's event because I feel like when you watch this flower blooming, you're, you're watching life evolve, and it's just it's a nod to that it, the process and the evolution and the circle. Um, so wonderful! I feel like New Orleanians through their gardens, but also through their their homes and their own spaces. There's there's a nod and a devotion to artistry that really is unique to the city. Um, but I love the idea of that. I'm going to push that in future. I think it's extraordinary. Sweet Dupuis. Thank you. You're such a sweet person to come on uh, with oh, so little notice. So Art and Bloom is from March 27th this month through the 31st. 
And uh, the big kickoff party is Wednesday night, March 27th. Um, the lectures are on Thursday, the 28th. And then on the weekend, um, if, if you're not a party animal and, and you, you, you're not going to make it to one of the events, and by the way, they have a huge silent auction, everybody just want to mention that, um, then you can come to the museum during regular museum hours and see all the flowers. But it's just that weekend because, of course, once you cut flowers, they don't last forever, so you got to get there. Thank you so, so much for coming out. And Thank I, you. This was lovely, and I will speak to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, sweet. I, I want to uh, take just a second and point out that I have a sponsor uh, for our show now, and I'm kind of crazy about this guy and his wife and his family, um, uh, Blake Jones Law Firm. They are good, good people. I know you see endless law firm uh, uh, advertising on television to the point of ad nauseum, but um, Blake Jones is a guy who really cares about people, and his law firm does. And, um, thank you, uh, Blake Jones, and, and everybody at the company for supporting our show. Uh, it's important to me. It's important to my listeners. Okay, everybody, you have, um, you know, I'm sure you're all catching up on your sleep tonight still and catching up from all the revelry from from the uh, fabulous carnival that we just came through um, I will be with you again next week. This is Gene Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and thank you for listening, everybody.